I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture that has to do with the last days. Some of the Scripture, most of it, really applies to... Some of it applies is past, as we're going to see. Some of it is still yet future. Uh, some of it is applicable. It's all applicable for today, but it's all not written specifically for today. Put it that way. Anyway, Luke chapter 21... Now start at verse 5 and read down through verse 33. It says, And some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. He said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come, in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another, that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, when shall these things be? What sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. When ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Great earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines and pestilences. And fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. Before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren, and kinsfolk, and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. There shall not a hair of your head perish, and your patience possess ye your souls. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in the Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. Let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And the land here is referring to the children of Israel in particular. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, shall be led away captive into all nations. Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. There shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and in the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. The powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth not. And he said unto them a parable, Behold the fig tree and all trees, when they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So tonight the title of the message is Living in a troubled world, living in a troubled world, and bearing truth in a troubled world. I kind of changed the title, but I didn't change it before I printed this out. Anyway, 
Uh, the reference here to the return of Christ is not speaking of the rapture of the saints. We know that the second coming is in two stages. Uh, you know, he's going to come for his saints. That's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 talks about, where he's going to be catch away uh, the saints, and, and the believers are going to be caught up with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, and we're going to be taken to heaven. And then the seven-year tribulation period begins, where he's going to start pouring out his judgment on the unbelieving world. And it's during this time that Israel is going to suffer great persecution, and, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, of course, the Antichrist, it's during this time the Antichrist will be raised up, uh, brought forth, or revealed, really. I think he's probably in the world, but he'll be revealed. And, and so there's going to be this, this terrible time on the earth, a seven-year period. And then after that, he will return to the earth. And this is what it's really referring to. If you notice, it says in verse uh, 27, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Uh, so, so he's going to return to the earth after that seven-year period to destroy the armies of the Antichrist and set up his thousand-year millennial reign, we call it. Uh, so much of what is spoken here is prior to that second coming. Some of what is spoken here would be fulfilled within 50 years of the time he spoke it. And that's verses 20 to 24. And so that's really, the. and I'm going to notice three things tonight. First of all, the predicted destruction of Jerusalem, and that's verses 20 to 24. If you notice in particular verse 24, it says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, this isn't referring to Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of Jerusalem, because, you know, Jesus is talking as if this is still going to happen. It's still going to happen after he was on earth. It's not talking about his second coming either, because Jerusalem is not going to be destroyed. Uh, Two-thirds of of Israel will die in that battle in Armageddon, but Jesus is going to come and deliver them. He's going to set his feet upon the Mount of Olives, and it's going to, you know, there's going to be an earthquake. He's going to set his feet upon the Mount of Olives, and he's going to destroy the armies of the Antichrist just before Israel is destroyed. He's going to intervene. So it's not referring to that. It's, and in fact, the, uh, the, the, the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled refers to the times that the Gentiles would rule over or have some control of the nation of Israel. And really, that's still continuing. You know, Israel is back in the land but they are quite dependent upon some of the rest of the world for their defense and their help, particularly the United States uh, and a few other countries. Uh, but this, this destruction he talks about is really the destruction of the temple uh, during the days of Titus, the Roman, the Roman uh, general Titus. Uh, if you notice in verses 5 and 6, he says, And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now we know that temple is, is no, it's not, doesn't exist now, and it hasn't existed since Titus and the Romans destroyed it. And so this is what Jesus is referring to here in chapters five, or verses 5 and 6 and also verses 20 through 24. Uh, it's the destruction of Jerusalem 
and the temple. Now, uh, the temple was huge. Of course, this was what we call Herod's temple, and he had he had he had continued to work on it all the way up to like AD sixty three. You know, they just continued to build and add to it, and it was a it was a it was it was a, they say it was four hundred meters by five hundred meters. It was a huge building, and it was beautiful. Uh, the, jo- the, the Jewish historian Josephus said that the temple was covered with, on the outside with gold plates that were so brilliant that when the sun shone on them, it was blinding to look at. And where there was no gold, there were blocks of marble of such pure white that from a distance travelers thought there was snow on the mount, temple mount. So this was a, certainly a beautiful structure and a huge structure. But, of course, the, the children of Israel rebelled against the Romans uh, for several years prior to that, AD 70, and, and finally Titus and the Romans surrounded them, and, and they all fled to the temple for protection. It was the largest and most secure building, so that was where the, the last stronghold, they all fled in there. And, one, and it's said that one drunken soldier started a fire that soon engulfed the whole building. And all that gold in that roof melted and went down into the stones. And that's why they took it down, clear down to the stones. They took, they took all the stones, because that gold melted down in there, so they tore all the stones down to get all the gold out. Just like Jesus said it would happen. To retrieve all that gold. They dismantled it. It was so complete that today you'd have a hard time knowing where it was. Other than there's, there's a western wall which was kind of an outer part of that, but it wasn't really part of the temple itself. But they, they, they still, you know, there, there's, there's some debate about, about the exact location of it because the, the destruction was so complete. And, and that's what he's referring to here in verses 5 and 6. But there was, and then in verses 20 uh, through um, 24, he's talking more about the destruction of Jerusalem and that the Jewish people would be massacred or taken captive. Again, notice verses 23 and 24. Woe unto them that are with child, and them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath, wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. You know, they had so irritated. You know, the Jews have always been a rebellious people. And they had so irritated the Romans. You know, Titus didn't really, he didn't want the, he didn't want that temple destroyed. And he didn't want, he really didn't want all the people massacred as they were. But they were so incensed against the Jews that, that he couldn't stop his soldiers. And they just massacred. Uh, they say that 1.1 million Jews were killed and around 97,000 taken captive out of Jerusalem. But you know, you remember what the Jewish Jews has said at the crucifixion of Christ in Matthew 27, 35, 25. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. You see, this was the culmination of years of rebellion against God in which the temple had become an idol. That's all it was. In, in Jesus' day, all it was was an idol. It was a thing that they worshipped. 
It was not a place where they met together to corporately worship God. They worshiped the temple itself. And, you know, in uh, Jeremiah, turn over to Jeremiah, and this, this it wasn't the first time this happened. In Jeremiah, this is, I believe, the reason the first, temp, the first temple was destroyed as well. In Jeremiah 7, excuse me, Jeremiah 7, verse 1 the Bible says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. So he's talking about the temple. Claim there this word and say, Hear ye the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if ye truly amend your ways and your doings, if ye truly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not? And come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. So they were, they were living wickedly and, and offering abominable sacrifices, and they were doing it in the house of God. And yet they said, this is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. We're, we're worshiping in the temple of the Lord. But the temple had become the thing of worship and the false gods. They no longer worshiped the God of the temple, but the temple. You know, when anything becomes an object of worship, and not a means to be used for worship becomes an idol. And God will set out to remove it or destroy it. Because God is a jealous God. You know, it can be a building. You know, I fear a lot of people, a lot of Christians have made their buildings their, their, tem- their temple, their, their, their God. You know, they, won't leave, they won't leave a liberal church because that's where mom and pop went. That's where grandma and grandpa went. And that's where, you know, my family's going there for all these years and my kid are married in the backyard. Guess what? They don't care. They, if they were alive, if they could tell you, they would tell you to get out. Well, see, that's the mindset of people. It can be a building, a career, a spouse. Or it can be your own body. You know, 1 Corinthians 19 and 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, What? Know ye not your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body. Not glorify your body, but glorify God in your body. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Wholly acceptable unto God. You know, we are to take care of our bodies. You know, the interesting part of this whole thing here, of these, all these people, these Jews being destroyed, is that according to the historian Eusebius, 
Very few, if any, Christians died in this massacre, in this destruction, because they had fled because of what the Lord had told them. They knew it was coming. They knew it was coming, and they had fled. They had gotten out prior. And so we see the predicted destruction of Jerusalem. We see the predicted signs of his coming. There are several of these. And we'll look at all of them because all of them don't 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 necessarily apply to today. But we see divided king. Of course, there was there was uh, the, he said there'd be the arising of false Christ, verse eight and nine. And he said, "Take heed that you be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. Time draweth near. Go ye not after therefore after them. So there'd be false Christ. You know, we we've had a lot of false Christ arise up in. You know, cultic leaders and, you know, the Reverend Sung Young Moon claimed he was the, the, the New Age Messiah. And, and there were others, you know, uh, that led people astray and, and said that, you know, that the Lord was coming. And, and they predicted Lord, things about the Lord and said they were the Lord's apostles and so on and so forth. You know, we, we've seen much of that in our day. Uh, there'd be wars and commotions, and we're seeing that in our world today. There's, there's wars and threatening of wars around the world, and it's really escalated just in the last year. Uh, but notice also there are divided kingdoms. And notice verse 10, Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. The word nation here is defined by the uh, Greek lexicon as race or nation. People groups. People groups. And the word kingdom is defined as the territory subject to the rule of a king. So if you're going to use those definitions, the, the word kingdom refer to the whole of the United States. And the word nation would be the people groups that live in it. That's how you would define it. And, you know, we have become a kingdom of nations by that definition. You, know, you go from state to state, and you have vastly different laws from state to state. That's why so many people were moving, you know, out of California in particular and New York. Because of different laws in different states. But you know, the sad thing is, we know what the Lord said. And by the way, this isn't only in our nation. Of course, we got, we get, we got the, the, the liberals and the left and the right in our nation that is so divided and, and, and you know, causing uh, great havoc in our nation. But it's not only here, it's around the world. In Europe, you know, in Australia, Canada, and, and you know, all those other places, there's, 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 there's divisions within the, the nations themselves. So, you know, by that definition, we are a divided kingdom. Our country is a divided kingdom. And what did Jesus say in, in Mark 3? He said this, If a kingdom divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So whether it's a kingdom or a house, if it's divided within itself, it cannot stand. You know, you can't not, you know, indefinitely live two standards of lives in one place. So nation divided against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there'd be great 
cataclysmic events. Notice in verse 11, Great earthquakes shall be in divers places, famines, pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. Uh, earthquakes in divers places. There's famines. You know, in, in our country, we don't, probably the average person in our country, I know for me, I didn't, you know, I didn't know. I didn't, it's, how, how, how bad is famine in the world? That, that's, you know, I thought of today, how bad is famine in the world? So I Googled it. In 2020, between, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, between 20, 720 and 811 million people faced hunger in 2020. And some say it's more than that. Some say as many as over 2 billion people in the world. And 2 billion people is about 30% of the population of the world. That's some staggering statistics. Pestilence. He says pestilence. Pestilence is. That's a plague. That's an epidemic disease. Well, we got one. Or do we? Well, it's a created one. Manufactured crisis. But it is upon us. And, and, and you know, there's other things that are, that, that are coming on the world, things that we've never seen before. Uh, there's, a, there's a prevailing fear and uncertainty. Notice verses 25 and 26. And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth distress of nation with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Now, you know, I didn't really write anything down about this, but you know, when I thought about seas and the waves, waves roaring, you know, we're, I read something yesterday about all, all the uh, that much of America coastlines are becoming flood zones because of you know what climate change. That's why we're having so many floods. So in Louisiana, every time there's a hurricane, you know what? They always had floods in Louisiana when they had hurricanes. It's just we know more news that goes on around the world than we ever did. We have more ways of tracking it than we ever did. You know, 100 years ago, I wouldn't even likely find out about the flood in Louisiana. But, you know, this is the kind of thing that's being promoted which creates fear and panic. So, perplexity. That word perplexity means confusion, uncertainty. You know, are people confused today? Just slightly, maybe? You know, some people are so confused they don't know what gender they are. They're confused about gender roles. The education system is confusing. Our tax system, <laughs> you talk about something that's confusing. I mean, you call the, you have a problem with your tax returns and, you know, how to fill something out, and you call the IRS, and if you talk to two different people, you probably get two different answers. You know, our government doesn't seem to know what it was designed for or what its role is. It doesn't seem to know whether it's a Democracy or republic? But if you read the Constitution, if you read the Declaration, if you read the founding documents, it very clearly states what it is. It's not a democracy. 
supposed to be a republic. We're becoming more and more of a, doc, a democracy where the mobs rule. That's why, that's, what, that's part of the woke culture. The mobs are ruling, you know, they, and they give in to that, 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 those mob rule. Uh, you know, and, and then the saddest thing is we're confused about our origin. And therefore, what our purpose here is. You know, most people don't have any idea. What am I here for? Well, I don't know. You know, that's why, that's why so many people join up with these Antifa and BLM. It gives them a purpose. You know, I was reading a testimony of a young man who'd been in and out of jail and on drugs, and, and you know, he was just wandering through life. And then uh, I think it was BLM came along, and boy, he joined up with that. And he said, now I have purpose for living. So many get into the religious world, so many have a form of the gospel, but don't really understand the gospel or how the word of God applies to and directs their life. Instead, it is how their life directs and applies the word of God. For example, a friend of mine's relative in discussion about something in the Bible, this friend of mine said, well, in the context, he said something about context of the passage, and the answer they got back was this, we are the context. So we determine the interpretation of the scriptures, how we want to interpret it. I didn't know God gave us some things to, you know, I thought he gave us commands, <laughs> You know, that's, that's what I read in there. We got commands. I didn't, I didn't know we had, well, if you want to do it this way, if you want to do it this way, if you want to do it this way, because that leaves it up for interpretation, and everybody's interpretation can be different. You know, it isn't, isn't any wonder people are confused about this man-made pan- pandemic, so-called. I mean, the world is just so full of confusion and uncertainty. And the result of that is fear. If you notice in verse 26, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming in the earth. Now, again, this is going to get worse during the tribulation period because this is really, I believe, the primary application of this passage is tribulation period. But we're already seeing some of these things start to come to pass. People are living in fear. You know, when the pandemic started, if you went to the store, you didn't have a mask on, you sneezed, they'd allow you to run you out. They still might, depending on where you are. Well, I sneeze every time I go out in the sun, and the sun's shining bright. It has nothing to do with whether I have something or not. But fear, and it means really to strike terror. People are just living in fear. And and it says looking after. The words looking after means there's an expectation of what is coming. They they know, they believe there's something coming, and they're living in fear of it, but but they don't know what it is. And and they're thinking about it, and they're they're hoping that their expectation is... But think about this a little bit. So what are they looking for? What are most people looking for? 
Well, we know that Antifa and BLM are looking for a, 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 a government that creates a state of equality, equality for everyone. This is what they're being told. You know, if you, if you help us bring in this, this state of equality where we can all live equally, financially equal, and every way equal, housing equal, and everybody has a right to a house and free education and, and uh, you know, and, and all live in harmony with each other. But we know that expectation is a dead end. It's a dead end because it will never come to pass. I mean, we've, we've seen it tried in other places. It's what Marx and Lenin promised in Russia and millions upon millions of people died after they were promised and used, they were slaughtered. Same thing in China with Mao Zedong. Same thing in Cuba, our southern neighbor. Same thing in South America, every place it's, it's, it's Venezuela. You know, again, 1 Thessalonians 5, and again, this, this primary application here is to the second coming of Christ. But 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, and for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman and a child, and they shall not escape. You know, there's going to be this parading. The Antichrist is going to talk about peace and safety. That's how he's going to come into the world and gain power. He's going to promise peace and safety. Hitler promised, if you just sign this league with me, then there will be peace between us. He did it with all his neighboring countries. He did it with Poland. He did it with England. And as soon as he got what he wanted out of the deal, then he'd declare war on the country he made peace with. You see, our, our world leaders are promising all these social activists equality. The world leaders are parroting this need to all come together for world peace, sharing, and prosperity. But you know what I see in all this? All these world leaders are gaining massive amounts of wealth because of the pandemic. And the middle class, or the working class, is getting smaller and poorer. Do you know that there's 493 new billionaires since COVID? That's in less than two years. 493 new billionaires. And at least 40 of those, according to Forbes, are all involved in some kind of health profession, pharmaceutical or research or something like 40 of them. Modern with the makers of the vaccines. If you don't believe me, Google it. According to Forbes, high net worth individuals or or people over $1 million own a quarter of the total, approximately $126 trillion of the world's wealth. A quarter of the the total. Um, This was published in Oxfam International, June 
January 16th, 2017. So this was four years ago, four and a half years ago. And this article says just eight men own the same wealth as half of the world. And the article goes on and goes and says, quote, eight men own the same wealth as 3.6 billion people who make it the poorest half of humanity, according to a new report published by Oxfam today to mark the annual meeting of the political and business leaders in Davos. By the way, Davos is the same place where the World Economic Forum meets every year. Oxfam report, an economy for the 99% shows that the gap between rich and poor is far greater than it had been feared, details how big business and the super rich are fueling the inequality crisis by dodging taxes, driving down wages, using their power to influence politics, calls for a fundamental change in the way we manage our economy so that the work they work for all people and not just a fortunate few. New and better data on the distribution of global wealth, particularly in India and China, indicates that the poorest half of the world has less wealth than had been previously thought. Had this new data been available last year, it would have shown that nine billionaires own the same wealth as the poorest half of the planet and not 62 as Oxfam calculated at the time. Uh, Winnie, I can't remember how to pronounce his name, he's the executive director of Oxfam International, said, quote, It is obscene for so much wealth to be held in the hands of so few when one in ten people survive on less than $2 a day, unquote. Now, I'm not opposed to rich people. But when they take advantage, they create a pandemic and take advantage of people to get gain. It is filthy money. It's an abuse of power. And that's what we're seeing in our world. And it's going to get so bad, and by the way, it is causing problems when when what will happen when their expectations don't materialize well again in verse 26 men's hearts failing them for fear and the word hearts failing those two words hearts failing means to breathe out life to expire dying Suicide is up 33% since 2019. 33%. And so these are, the, these are the, the things that are happening that Jesus predicted would happen. But here's the good news. Jesus also predicted the source of the solutions to our world problems. And that's in verses 12 through 15 and verses 32 and 33. And i got two things here I want to mention. First of all, the truth comes through his true churches. Notice verses 12 through 15. For all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering up to the synagogues and the prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my namesakes. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. He says it's going to turn to you. That word turn to you means uh, uh, is to, to be the outcome or to come about. They're going to, they're going to look to you for an answer. God's going to expect an answer through you for the world. You see, we live in a world that can't seem to find truth. 
You know, Amos prophesied in Amos 11 and 12, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but hearing of the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. So he says there's going to be this famine in the world. People are going to be looking for truth, but they can't find it. You know, a lot of people that can't, you know the reason people can't find truth? Because they're not looking for it. You know, wisdom crieth in the streets, Proverbs tells us in chapter 9. I mean, the heavens declare the glory of God. But instead of thinking that, oh, God must have created this, then he must have created me, they think, oh, somehow there was a little little amoeba out there that, that, that you know, separated and, you know, and grew and, you know, and eventually became a fish, and that fish got legs and it became a, a mammal, and then it began to walk on land, and it became a monkey and an ape, and, you know, and here we are. But the, the saddest thing to me is so many who profess to know Christ reject much of the Bible. I a lady called me today. And she was looking for somebody to build, to turn part of her house into an office and a small bathroom, and she's a Christian counselor, quote-unquote. And... And I said, and, you know, she got gotten a business card from, from uh, a store here in town that we had given them years ago. So it had my name and had Nathan's name on it. She called me. My name was on it first. So she called me. And I said, well, I don't do that kind of stuff much anymore. So, you know, I, I could talk to my son about it. He may be interested in helping you. And I'll see him at church tonight. Oh, where, where's, the where's your church? I said, well, it's Lighthouse Baptist Church in Rollsville. And she asked me where it was, and I told her, and, and I said to the pastor. And then she said, well, and she got really excited, you know, and she said, well, uh, you know, my husband and I are, uh, rapid res- are, are on the rapid response team for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And we might be able to assist you in some ways and so on and so forth. And I said, well, I really appreciate it, but, but no thank you. And, uh, she, and I forget what else she said next. And I said, well, I, I just don't agree with some of Billy Graham's practices. Oh, you don't, you don't agree with Billy Graham? I said, no. I said, uh, you know, he had, he, uh, you know, compromised in ecclesiastical separation. Ecclesiastical separation? I said, well, did it, you know, did he, he cooperate with Catholics and, and, you know, others of different uh, denominations and things? And she said, and I forget what she did say, and I said, and she said, I said, well, ma'am, do you believe that Catholics, their doctrine teaches the true way of salvation? She said, well, if they're charismatic. So then I went to the scriptures and started talk, tried to talk to her about how the sign gifts had ceased. But instead of continuing to talk to me, she got offended, upset, and then said, and don't bother giving my name to Nathan. Says I'm not interested. 
You know, that's the sad thing in the world. But we are, it is through his churches that the truth comes. Good. And I want to look at a couple of verses here. In, in 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, you know, Peter talked, one of, the, one of the, the, the theme of Peter's epistle is suffering. Uh, in 1 Peter 3, in verse 13, he asks a rhetorical question, and who is he that will harm you if he follows of that which is good? But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of the terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And so, you know, you know even in the midst of persecution, and of course Paul ta- or the Luke here is talking about, you know, they're going to persecute you, and it's going to... It's going to turn to you for a testimony to the truth. See, it's through the Lord's true churches that the truth is made known. And we, make, we can make known the truth. You know, when people exhaust the world's resources for truth and for purpose and meaning to life, you know, the only place they're going to find it is in the Lord's churches. And that is, you know, the prevailing, one of the prevailing marks of the Lord's true churches is those who are willing to suffer loss and persecution for the name of Christ. For the truth. Because when you know you got the truth, you won't give it up. You won't give it up. Because there's confidence, there's assurance when you know you got the truth. There's an assurance there. There's a peace there. You know, and, and we need to be the kind of people, like he says here, you know, we're to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness. You know, we ought to speak the truth, but we're to speak the truth in love. You know, I tried to, you know, very gently break the news to her why we couldn't, we would not fellowship with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. You know, I, I, I don't care if she's involved in the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I'd still do work for her and do my best. I don't discriminate on those grants. But you know what? The world does. The world does. Then I notice the second thing. This truth transcends time. Verses 32 and 33. He says this. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Now, that verse is a little bit confusing because it says... When we think of a generation, okay, we would say, well, I and my wife's generation, then my kids' generation. And we consider that a generation. But in the Bible, in the Bible, there are three things that is considered a generation. It can consider the descendants of a common ancestor. That would be what I was just speaking about. 
or a set of people born at the same time, the same thing, or it can be a period of time occupied by such a set of people, often in a sense of successive sets of people. So really, I believe what we're looking at here is when he says this generation shall not pass away till all this is fulfilled, because what he's referring to here is tribulational. He's talking about until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. In other words, till the end of time, you know, heaven and earth may pass, the Lord's going to make us a new heaven and a new earth, but till the end of time, my words will not pass away. They're forever. They will not change. They will not change. You see, the word of truth, truth never changes. Truth is always relevant. It speaks to every need of mankind. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, all the way through, thoroughly furnished. Of course, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1 thing that we have all things that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And then in verse 19 of the same chapter, he says we have a more sure word of prophecy. And that word sure there means we have something more stable, we have something more firm. And Peter is saying, look, he's comparing it to when he was on that Mount of Transfiguration and he saw with his own eyes the Lord's transfigured before him. There was no mistake about it. That was certain. But he said, I have something more stable and more firm than that that you need to take heed to. That's the word of God. See, truth will never change. God's word will never change. God is the same yesterday, today, forever, and his word is the same. Because he is the word. He is the word. You see, we have the answers for purpose in life. What life means. How it's to be lived. You know, the world's full of miserable people out there living for themselves. Knowing, knowing that one day they're going to leave it all behind. And many of them fuss about what their kids are going to do with it. I'm not really worried about that. I don't have that much to fuss about to start with. But you know, if you live your life for the Lord, you have a purpose in life. And you have an expectation that's not a dead end, but is sure. We have eternal life. We have a home reserved in heaven that fadeth not away. You see, we are the ones through whom the truth can be known. God has given us the truth. And, we are to, and, the, and they are going to turn to us for a testimony. It may be, it may be, may end up being in a court of law. It may be in a jail. It may be in you know, somewhere we don't, we don't want to be. Just like it was for some of the disciples. 
And see, if we have put the word of God in our hearts, he says, you know, he tells us here, settle it therefore in your hearts, not meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Don't plan. You know, you can, you can try and prepare and prepare and plan. The way you prepare is study your Bible, how to live today. Every day. And when the time comes for you to be put on spot before the world, God will give you an answer that they will not be able to resist. A couple months ago, I got an email. And I was suspicious. It was somebody said they were interested in coming to our church, but they wanted to know what, I, what our church believed about the LBGTQ community. And I have to be honest with you, a few, you know, some years ago, I probably wouldn't have had as nice an answer. So I started out by saying that, you know, I appreciate your interest in our church, and I would love to have you come visit. And I appreciate your inquiry about this, this uh, uh, situation. I said the Bible tells us that God loves the world. God loves all men. But all men are sinners. And sin must be repented of. If you're going to come to God and have a relationship with God through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you must repent of your sins. And I said the LBG2... TQ, or whatever all those letters are, it's not a new thing in the world. When Paul went to Corinth, he dealt with all of it. And I, I quoted for him 1 Corinthians chapter, um, was it chapter 6, I believe it is, 11 through 12, where it talks about the effeminate, the abusers of themselves and mankind. It also talks about drunkards and extortioners. And, and it says, These shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. See, all these things are sin against God. And if you're not willing to repent of them, you cannot be saved. But if you're willing to repent of them, because he says, such were some of you, but now are you sanctified, now are you justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what I wrote him. I never got an answer. See, I tried to word it in such a way he couldn't pin me for being guilty of hate speech. Because God does love all sinners. You see, you know, sometimes I surprise myself with my own answers. Because, you know, normally that wouldn't be the way I'd probably answer that question. But God can give you an answer of the reason. And uh, what we need to we need to we need to realize that we're here, we're in this time, serving the Lord in this time to be a witness, to be a testimony to those who are living in fear, who are confused. And we are there to help them, to try and teach them, try and instruct them, and now to have a relationship with God so that they won't live in fear.